0: Well, come with me to the reading which we just had, Psalm 13. It's the Psalm of David, and it begins, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? So four times David says, how long? So you're waiting for a bus. You check your watch. It's a long time coming. You wait patiently. You check your watch. Why hasn't the bus come? You sigh. You wait patiently. You check your watch. The bus still hasn't arrived. And now in your mind, a line has been crossed. Because the bus should have been here by now. And you begin to think, how long? will this bus ever come so before we ask the question how long we will have waited a considerable time waited until that invisible line in our mind has been crossed at that point we say how long well that's a trivial example what are you waiting for tests important medical tests, from the hospital. And you're waiting, and there's still no news, and you're waiting, and there's still no news, and you're beginning to think, how long? Maybe my results have been lost. Maybe they've forgotten me. Maybe they don't even know that I exist. How long have they forgotten me? That's a more serious example. But when you're asking the Lord how long, when the Lord who cannot forget appears to have forgotten you, how much has David had to endure? How long has he been waiting, waiting, waiting before in his mind that invisible line has been crossed? The Lord should have been here by now. The Lord should have helped me by now. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Now, is David backslidden? Is he guilty of some secret sin? Is David the author of his own distress? There's nothing to say that that's the situation. And yet for David, the Lord seems far away. He's not been here when David needs him. And it's been going on now for so long that it feels like forever. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? Forever. Godly believers really can feel that God has abandoned them. And maybe that's you tonight, whether you're in this building or whether you're following us online. Maybe you feel that God has abandoned you. Doubts, illness, heartache, tragedy, fears, grief, despair, loneliness, rejection, depression, yet another disappointment that's left you feeling so sick in your heart, desertion, desertion by God, and you're reaching that point where you feel like, I just can't go on. God should have been here by now. Where is he? I I almost feel there is no future. It's just been going on and on and on. And I've been waiting for the Lord, waiting for the Lord, waiting for him to step in. And still nothing. How long, O oh Lord? Will you forget me? Will you forget me forever? Maybe this evening you are where David is. After the death of his wife, C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, when you're happy... So happy that you have no sense of needing him. And if you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you'll be or so it feels welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate. When all other help is vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face. And a sound of bolting and double bolting. On the inside. And after that. Silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait. The more emphatic the silence will become. There are no lights on in the windows. It might be an empty house. Was it ever inhabited? It seemed so. Once. Is that where you are? You've prayed, you've knocked, but the door seems bolted and there are no lights in the windows. The house appears to be empty and the longer it goes on, the worse it gets. And you feel so alone, you feel that that God has forgotten you. Where is he? I thought I knew him, but I don't know if I do know him. Because he should have been here by now. Well, Psalm 13, three things to say, three points. Point number one is two opposing things. So what are they? Well, there's a word that occurs three times. It's in verse one, how long, O Lord? It's in verse three, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. It's in verse six. I will sing to the Lord. So the first word is the word Lord. And in our Bibles, it's in capital letters, L-O-R-D. It's the English translation of the Hebrew word Yahweh, although no one's actually quite sure how it's pronounced. And the word literally means he is. And it's the name that God gives himself. So God is not his name. God is what he is. But the Lord, Yahweh, he is is his name, that's his identity. He is himself. He is because he is. He's the infinite, he's the eternal, he's God to the exclusion of all other gods. And if you go through the pages of the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, you learn that it's a name that you can trust. That if Yahweh is your God, He will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's the God who is invincibly, unchangeably, eternally committed to his people. If you like, he's the the devoted husband of his people. So the first word is Lord. Two opposing things. So what's the other? Well, it's a phrase that occurs four times. Verse 1, how long, O Lord? Verse 1, how long will you hide your face from me? Verse 2, how long must I take counsel in my soul? Verse 2, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Two opposing things, the Lord and how long? Because the Lord who is devoted to his people has apparently walked out on David. The Lord who is unchangeably committed to his people has apparently changed in his attitude towards David. The Lord who cannot forget his people has apparently forgotten David. Now who can make sense of that? Two opposing things, two contrary things, two things that should never be mentioned in the same breath. Let's push it out a little bit more. The Lord, the name you can trust. Abraham discovered that. You can read about it in Genesis 22. Abraham discovered that, that he's the Lord who provides for his people. Not just that he, he can provide or even that he, he will provide, but it's his very yahweh the fact that he is the Lord, that he, he delights to provide. He cannot stop himself from providing for his people. And David knew all about Abraham. But he says, You haven't provided for me. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? Israel in the wilderness, you can read about it in Exodus 15. They discovered that He is the Lord who heals. He says, I am the Lord your healer. They come to some waters, the waters of Mara. They find the waters are bitter, and the Lord makes them drinkable. He makes the bitter sweet. He makes the bitter drinkable. He makes bitter experiences life-giving. He's the God who heals. He heals broken hearts, broken situations. I am the Lord your healer. And David knew all about that. But says, David, "You, you haven't healed me. I feel no warming, sunshine On my soul, all I feel is the bitterness of winter cold. How long will you hide your face from me? Gideon discovered that the Lord is peace. Now Gideon was on the back foot. He's got an idol in the back garden. So when the Lord comes to meet him, Gideon fears the worst. But the Lord comes in peace. Because his very nature is peace. The Lord is peace. And David knew all about that. But says, David, I don't have any peace. Verse 2, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? You know what David is saying. The only voice in his head is his own. He doesn't feel he can share his situation with anyone else, and God is certainly not listening to him, and so David's thoughts just go round and round and round and round in his head, and he can't find a way out of his situation. He feels his situation is impossible. How long must I take counsel in my soul? I go to sleep, and if I can get to sleep, I drink oblivion, wonderful, and then I wake up, and it's a new day but the situation isn't new. There's no rest, no relief, no peace. I just have sorrow, sorrow in my heart all the day, anything but peace. The Lord is peace, but I don't have any peace. And Moses and Joshua in that famous battle against the people of Amalek, they discover that the Lord is my banner. You can read about it in Exodus 17. What does that mean? Well, it means the king's standard, the king's flag, the king's banner is unfurled on the battlefield, which means the king is with us, the Lord is with us, the Lord is leading his armies, the Lord is fighting for his people, the Lord defends his people from their enemies. That's what it means to have the Lord as your God. He'll fight for you, defend you from your enemies. And David knew all about that. But you haven't fought for me. As far as I can see, you've abandoned me to my enemies. Verse 2, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? So here are two opposing things that don't make sense, that are sitting in contradiction. The Lord who cannot forget has forgotten David. Otherwise, by now, surely by now, he would have come to my rescue. He would have been here long ago. But still I'm waiting. I crossed that invisible line so long ago. Oh, how how long? How long, O Lord? Where is your provision for me? Where is your healing? Where is your peace? Where is your protection? Who you are as the Lord and my experience of who you are seem to be in opposition. Who can make sense of that? I thought the name of the Lord was a name that I could trust. Now maybe you know all about that. Maybe David's complaint is your complaint you know he's the Lord but you feel he's not been listening to you and because he's God you know how do you get hold of him Uh, he's not listening to me and I can't get hold of him and I'm told that he's the Lord he's the God of love and the God of faithfulness but I don't feel the love and I feel that he's let me down and as far as you're concerned your distressing situation just seems to go on and on and on so when David says in verse 2, I, uh, how long must I take counsel in my soul, you get that. Your words have just been going round and round in your head. You just seem, you feel as though you're having a dialogue with yourself. The only voice you hear is your own. And you can't seem to find a way out of your situation. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do what David did? So point number two. Argue with God. Verse 3. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Look at verse 3. Do you see what David is saying? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Do you see what David is saying? God is apparently ignoring him. Worse than that, God's forgotten about him. So David is almost saying, I'm here. I'm not going away. Look at me. Answer me. Consider me. You're the Lord. Can the God who cannot forget, how can you have forgotten about me? The God who's unchangeably committed to his people, how can you have changed towards me? If God has bolted the door and turned off the lights, then David is determined to stand outside the door and keep knocking on the door loud and hard until the Lord comes and answers. Now, I'm amazed at the perseverance of cats. You know, it's a cold day, the cat's outside, it's nice and warm on the inside, um, and the cat wants to come from the outside to the inside. So what does the cat do? The cat waits. And they wait, and they wait, and they wait, and they sit in your eye line. So they know that you can see them. And they scratch at the door. And they sit on the window sill. And they wail. They won't give up. Because they want to come inside. It's amazing how long the cat can wait for. What a cat can endure. And it won't give up. And that's just instinct. Well David is obviously not a cat. But he's a child of God. Out in the cold. And his prayer, verse 3 Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. That's not instinct, that's faith, isn't it? It's the faith that perseveres, that keeps waiting, that won't let go, that keeps knocking, that keeps calling. It's the faith, as it were, that waits in God's eye line so that whichever way God looks, he can't avoid seeing David. He's standing in God's eye line until God answers him. And Genesis 2, what he says, uh, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God, my God. My Mandy, because we belong together. My God, we belong together. There's a sense in which David is saying, look, even if you've disowned me, I haven't disowned you. As far as I'm concerned, you're my God. I am yours and you are mine. I wonder, can you pray like that? Can you make a nuisance of yourself? David refuses to walk away. So don't walk away. David refuses to let go. So don't let go. David refuses to appoint for himself an alternative God, because there is none. So don't go looking elsewhere. And David argues with the Lord. So argue with the Lord. Tell him all your heart. It's called faith. And real faith, real trust, is sometimes pungent. It's not soft and syrupy. It's not serenity. It's pungent. Because it knows this will only be sorted out When God comes and answers the door. When God himself yields to me. Now years ago a friend of mine smacked his little boy. Uh, The little boy ran out of the room crying. And ran straight back into the room. Back into his father's arms. There was nowhere else to go. Well that's David. That's faith. Faith is not serenity. Serenity. It's running into my father's arms even when my father seems to be against me. Now can you do that? David argues with God, but his requests are specific. Verse 3, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Now David was a soldier. God himself said that David has shed much blood. So you can see, David, can't you? Walk in the battlefield at the end of a, of a day's killing. And he sees a friend, a friend who's mortally wounded. He goes over to his friend, he cradles his friend. He looks into the into the face of his friend. And he can see the light departing from his eyes. The eyes of his friend are growing dim until the light is extinguished, and his friend sleeps, the sleep. Of death. See what David is saying, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lord, I've been wounded. I feel my life is ebbing away. Time is short. I'm not sure how much longer I can hold on. The light is going from my eyes. But I can't hang on much longer. So come to me. Cradle me. Don't hide your face from me. Look into my face. Look into my eyes. Fill me with that resurrection life. Light up my eyes. Lest I sleep the sleep of death. Light up my eyes. Otherwise, if you don't, my enemies will say that they've won. Verse 4. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. And if my enemies prevail over me, well, that will reflect on your name, Lord. Because what sort of God abandons his people to their enemies? What sort of God forsakes his people when their need is greatest? Why give Satan the last word? Why confirm the unbelieving in their unbelief? Lord, it's your reputation, it's your name, it's your yahweh that's on the line. Because. What happens to me. Your name is bound up with the outcome. So if I go under. It will proclaim what sort of God that you are. What your Yahwehness is like. So step in. Don't let me go under. I wonder can you. Can you argue like that. We sing don't we. What a friend we have in Jesus. So what's it like to have Jesus as your friend? Is he the friend who abandons his people to their enemies? Lord, I'm a Christian. That means I'm Christ's. My name is bound up with your name. So if there's a knockout blow, what will that say about you? So Lord, no knockout blow. On the contrary, confound the enemy. Fill me with light and life. Raise me back onto my feet. I'm on the floor. One more thrust of the javelin and it'll be over. I wonder if Paul ever prayed this psalm. To Corinthians, it's the, it's the, it's the, the letter that Paul really does uh, open his heart. It's the, it is the most pastoral letter. And I could have jumped into 2 Corinthians in many places, but listen to what he says here. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he would deliver us again. You think of the apostle to despair even of life. He's where David is, isn't he? God should have stepped in by now. I'm going down for the last time. This is it. I'm despairing of life. I want to curl up and die. But God came. So, Christian friend, argue with God. How can we say that with such certainty? Because it's God himself who's given us the arguments with which to argue with him. If he didn't want us to argue with him, he wouldn't have given us the arguments to come back at him with. I wonder, have you left so much unsaid? You know, you're sort of hanging on that that quiet desperation. It's interesting what David says, isn't it? Um, taking counsel in my soul. There is that awful sort of silent suffering. Sort of hanging on in quiet desperation. Well, go and sit or stand outside God's door. And it may well be bolted and the lights may well be out, but knock loud. Lift up your voice. Stand in his eyeline. Challenge him. Argue with him. Complain. Don't give him any rest. And let him know that if you go under, you take down with you his reputation. Oh what a friend we have in Jesus. Well, don't lose your reputation. Be the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Be the friend that comes to my rescue. See, faith doesn't always have a smile. Faith is prepared to have a blazing row. So argue with God. So That's our third and final point. point. Point number three where do we end up? Look at verses 5 and 6. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. See, as David comes into the presence of God, as he tells it how it is, tells God his heart, tells God what he's really thinking and feeling, something changes. Now, the situation is the same, but David isn't the same. As he's poured out his soul to God, invisibly, and maybe even at this stage unknowingly to David, God has been pouring himself into David. What does James 4.8 say? It says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And David is not so much seeing the situation in a new way, as seeing the Lord in a new way. And there's something that he's forgotten. Something which is true. Something which is wonderfully true. That David has forgotten. But now it comes back to him. And it comes back to him with a new power and wonder. Now, verses 5 and 6, they form a deliberate pattern. You get it in a lot of Hebrew poetry. It's called a chiasma. The first part of verse 5 parallels the second part of verse 6. So actually, you should read them like this. Verse 5, But I have trusted in your steadfast love because he has dealt bountifully with me. It's the past tense. David looks back. And then there's chiasma, the second part of verse 5, parallels with the first part of verse 6. So my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. It's future tense. David is looking forward. So has the Lord forgotten to help David? Well, actually, David has forgotten how the Lord has helped him. And David looks back. And as David looks back, David, what do you see? As you trace life's story, as you look at the events of your life, the twists and the turns, the meetings, the partings, the happenings, the strange providences, the wonderful things, God stepping in. As you trace life's story, David, what do you see? It says, David, in verse 5, I see the steadfast love of the Lord. I can see it now. I've forgotten. I can trace it out. The love that will not let me go, the love that has never let me go. The love that does not fail. The love that is real and personal. It's not a notional thing that somehow out there there's some floating love like a cloud that might or might not descend upon me. It's God's love. It's God. It's personal. It's real. The Lord himself has wrapped his arms around David through the whole of David's life and has never let him go. David begins to remember, no one has ever loved me like the Lord has loved me. He's never let me down. So why should I doubt him now? But I have trusted in your steadfast love because he has dealt, past tense, he has dealt bountifully with me. David begins to remember just how much the Lord has loved him. And, of course, he's looking at it with Old Testament eyes, isn't he? Christian friend, you have New Testament eyes. What do you see? You see the day when Yahweh himself stepped into our world to rescue his people from the ultimate, impossible situation. His very name jesus what does it mean it means yahweh saves not that he can save that he will save it is his very yahwehness to look at his people and to rescue them so here's a child on the deck of a sinking ship the child can't swim But a rescuer comes and the rescuer wraps his arms around the child and together they jump into the sea. And they sink into the depths. But the rescuer is a strong swimmer and the rescuer won't let go of the child. And so from the depths they rise to the surface and to safety. Jesus goes to that cross. And there in the reckoning of God the Father, He held me, a sinner, in the embrace of His unchanging love. And because He was embracing me, and brothers and sisters, because He was embracing you, because He was embracing us sinners, the blows that our sins deserve, they fell upon Him. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And because he embraced me, he embraced you, the sinner, he was plunged. Into the very depths of the hell that I deserved. He drowned in the darkness and he went down and deeper, and the father hid his face. So that when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Heaven really was silent. There's a sense in which Jesus knew the words of verse one in a way that David would never know them. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? But Christian friends, even in hell, I was safe in his embrace. And he would not abandon me to the wrath of God. But he shielded me from that wrath. He covered me, shielded me by bearing that wrath himself. And we're not making these things up. You remember Paul's words? I have been crucified. I have been crucified with Christ. That's why God's justice has finished with me. Because God's justice has already been served on me. I've been crucified with him. That's why we read there is therefore now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. When He rose from the dead, when He he broke the surface and He came up, still I was held in the embrace of His love. He would not let me go and He raised me to a new life and a new relationship and the very promise of glory itself. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, never stopped loving me, who loved me and gave himself. What more could he do? He gave himself for me. He's done it all. We sometimes sing that hymn when we're allowed to sing, what kind of love is this that gave itself for me? I am the guilty one, yet I go free. And having done all of that, having shed his blood for me, will he now let me slip from his embrace? having saved me from my ultimate and impossible situation, having saved me from sin and death and hell, will he now let me slip from his embrace? It's unthinkable, isn't it? That really would be a denial of everything. Which is why we can say, I have trusted in your steadfast love. He loved me. Gave himself for me. Oh, because he has dealt bountifully with me. You see, that steadfast love has been victorious over sin and death and hell. That steadfast love rules over heaven and earth. It brings the Son of God from heaven to this world to rescue us. And therefore is that steadfast love that rules our destiny and will never let us go. He held me in his arms before the world was made. There was never a time when he did not love me. Never a time when he began to love me. And therefore a time will never come when he will cease to love me. I have trusted in your steadfast love because he has dealt bountifully with me. David might almost have said, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, and in case you think that leaves a gap somewhere, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Christian friend, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Are you feeling in that place where David was? Kind of feeling lost about everything, trapped. You're just sick of heart, sick anyway. Overwhelmed, despairing, depressed, at your wit's end. Got no answers. The thoughts just go round and round and round. The Lord, to all appearances, has, has forgotten you, is against you. Don't forget. Remember, remember, remember. He has already dealt with the ultimate impossible situation. That's behind you. It's been dealt with. His steadfast love has dealt with it. He saved you. He saved you from drowning in the darkness and in the chaos. He saved you from the wrath of God. He saved you for time and eternity. Has he done all of that? An infinite cost to himself. Giving himself freely. Only then to let you slip from his grasp now. His love cannot fail. The Lord has held you in his embrace. From eternity past. He won't let you slip. The arms of His love will eventually bear you to the safety and the joy and the freedom and the peace and the glory of God's new world so that sooner or later my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. Our time is out, but as I very briefly draw this to a close, I must say this, if you're not a Christian, whether you're here in the room or whether you're joining us online, if you're not a believer, there can be no happy ending. No happy ending until you come to the cross of jesus christ until you stand where the wrath of god has been only then will you be safe from the wrath to come you're a sinner you're condemned god is angry with you rightly so but understand jesus christ is the great lover of sinners and therefore in the preaching he again opens his arms and says to you come to me He says that by my cross, by my resurrection, I've done everything that you could not do to put you right with God. And therefore the invitation is the warmest, the freest, the friendliest, the most welcome invitation, which he presses upon us with such warmth, such that we know that that he really does love us. And he says, come to me. Will you come to him? Will you fall upon those, those kind, kind arms, those nail-pierced hands that are stretched out to you and say, oh God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Will you come? Perhaps it's a story you know so, so well. The old, old story of Jesus and his love. You know the story. But you've yet to taste of that love for real. Well, why not come tonight? He's ready to meet you. And he's calling you to him. Come. But I have trusted in your steadfast love my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word doesn't sanitize that our experience, Lord, in this world, even as your people can be raw and painful and pungent We thank you, our God, that you don't rule our questioning, our challenging, our arguing out of court. We thank you that you're not remote and tell us only to come once a year for a brief word and you might hear us. We thank you that you say, take up the arguments. Take up the arguments with me. Come to me. Speak with me. Stand in my eyeline. Let me hear your voice. Oh, gracious God, by your Spirit we pray. Help us to take up the language that David has given to us and to wrestle with you. And that, oh God, if we feel that we have been forgotten and abandoned and forsaken, that, Lord, that tonight that we might know power to wrestle with you until the thing is brought to a a conclusion. Oh, help us, we pray. We ask the Lord in all of these things that as David came to that new and deeper and fuller realization of the love that will not let him go, that Lord, that you would bring us to that same realization, the wonders of redeeming love, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me Oh, Father, we pray even tonight if there is no breath left within us and we feel we can't go on, then, Lord, help us to perish at the feet of Jesus because a bruised reed he won't break and a smoking flax he won't quench. that it might be so because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.